chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. This is a well-known passage of Scripture. You're probably familiar with the verse, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts and my ways than your ways. Um, Isaiah 55 also has the verse, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. But today we're going to be looking at most of this chapter, and I've entitled this message, Fast Food Christianity. How many of you would admit to regularly eating at McDonald's? Okay, good. I uh, have a friend in Oregon. I was just up there this week, and we were visiting. He and his wife were sitting there talking with me, and and I mentioned something about McDonald's, and he said, yeah, I, I go through just about every day. And his wife went, ah. I, I don't know if she didn't know or if she wanted to act surprised for my sake, but I don't think most people think of McDonald's as the healthiest food out there. And it's not just McDonald's, any, any fast food. We're really good here in the United States at processed food. We're really good at making food quickly, maybe not so nutritious as it would be if we were more careful in making it. And I want to use that analogy with our to our relationship with Jesus Christ. We can be really good at going through the motions of Christianity, really good at, at, at showing certain things on the outside, but inwardly we're not really committed. And that's what fast food Christianity is. It's on the outside wanting to look a certain way, but on the inside we, we've got a totally different set of thoughts and plans. Now you say, how do you get that from the passage? Well, notice that it says in verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. And then verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. So inwardly, these people have their own thoughts and plans that don't match up with God's thoughts and plans. And that's one of, one of the symptoms, one of the uh, evidences of fast food Christianity. Now, some of you are probably familiar with a book written now back before I was even born called The, the Population Bomb. And the authors of this book were really concerned back in the 1960s that we're going to have an explosion of people. And we have. We've gone for two and a half billion people or so in the 1960s. They're expecting now to cross the eight billion people mark here in the next decade. So we've had an explosion in the population of the earth. And these authors were concerned that the amount of food that was going to be created was not going to keep up with the population. And they were predicting there was going to be famines and there was going to be food shortages and that was going to lead towards wars and all kinds of terrible things. But if you've lived from the 1960s until today, you, you know that we haven't had very many food shortages. And when we say we've had a food shortage, what we mean is we went to the grocery store and there was no mayonnaise on the shelves. <laughs> and we say, you know, supply chain. And really, we, we've not had an experience like some people around the world have had where there is no food. And you wonder what you're going to eat the next day. And the reason for that is there has been a change in agriculture. The um, Green Revolution that some, as some people call it, different than other people's Green Revolution, refers to the, the truth that agricultural yields have increased by three, four, and sometimes five times per acre than what they used to be in the 1960s through more effective pesticides and more effective fertilizers and through um, uh, better crossbreeding of, of plants, 
so that there's more food today than we've ever had in our lives. It's interesting to note that in the last recession, the one back in 2001, well, that was two recessions back, 2001, 2002, for the first time in, in U.S. history, during a recession, poor people gained weight. And the reason that was significant was they had plenty of food, even in the middle of a recession. What they tended to do, what people tend to do during a recession, is they buy cheaper food, and the cheaper food is less nutritious for them than the more expensive food. So during a recession, they're still getting plenty to eat. It's just not very nutritious food, and it's just adding to their waistline. But we have enough food and to spare. And frankly, when it comes to American Christianity, who doesn't have access to a Bible? Who can't turn on the radio in their car or listen to a podcast on their smartphone and find good preaching or good Bible teaching? You can go uh, online and find all kinds of commentaries about the Bible and, and Bible study books and discipleship books. There is no dearth of Bible information in the United States, is my point. But does that mean that Americans in general are closer to God than they were 20 years ago or 30 years ago or 40 years ago? It seems that at the same time we have an abundance of Bible teaching and an abundance of good Bible preaching, there's a famine for truth in our country. And I think the reason is explained here in this passage. So look with me at verses 1 and 2 to start with. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1 Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Let's pray, and then we're going to open up with these two um, verses. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for using it, us, using it to challenge us, to convict us, to direct us, to guide us, to change our thinking so that our thinking lines up with your thinking, to change our emotions so that our emotions line up with your emotions, so that we love what you love. We hate what you hate. And we're excited about what you get excited about. And we're oblivious to the things that don't matter for eternity. And we ask, Father, that through this morning's message, you would strengthen your servants. Give me the words to say. Give me the thoughts and the way to express them so that the meaning of this passage is clear to us. So its application to our lives is clear as well. Again, I lift up to you the many that are sick and unable to join us in person today. I ask you to strengthen them and bring them back next week. And I thank you for each one that has made a point to take time out of a busy week to be with us today. Bless them for it. And again, we claim the promise of your presence that where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them and ask for your help and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There are three things I want you to see about fast food Christianity today. The first is that fast food Christianity is more concerned with taste than with substance. The second is that fast food Christianity wants it our way. Some of you remember the Burger King advertisement, have it your way. And the third is that fast food Christianity lacks the patience and the effort to obtain satisfying food. Let's start with the first one there, though. 
more concerned with taste than with substance. He says in verse one, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. He's talking to people. These are, uh, these are Jews. Isaiah is a prophet in the southern kingdom. So these are the people of Judah. These are Jews. But I'm going to just take that and transfer it to us today. The Jews of Isaiah's day were God's people. The Christians of today, we are God's people. And God is saying to us, if you're thirsty, you can come and have all the refreshment that you need. But what do you have to be? You have to be thirsty. You're not going to come and drink unless you're thirsty, he says. Look at verse two, wherefore do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which satisfieth not? What are they doing there? They, they are buying stuff. They're actually, he's offering them free all the water and all the wine and all the milk that they could drink. But they're spending their money for things that don't satisfy because frankly, they are more concerned with taste and texture than with substance substance and nourishment. It's amazing. They tell us that two of all vegetable servings in the United States. Now, before I get here, when you think of vegetables, I always think of things like squash and broccoli and cauliflower, right? Those are vegetables, carrots, vegetables. They tell us that two thirds of all vegetable servings in the United States are French fries. Now, I will be honest, I'll be frank with you, I would much rather eat French fries than broccoli or cauliflower or uh, carrots. Definitely would rather eat French fries than eat a salad. I'll I'll be frank with you. And if God had not given me a wife, I'd probably be dead, have a heart attack. (laughs) That is not where you're going to find nourishment in French fries. Why do we choose, why do Americans in general, why do we choose to eat so many French fries rather than good food? Because it tastes good. And there is going to be a type of religiosity, a type of religion, a type of spirituality that that really appeals to you. It's going to feel right. It's going to feel comfortable. But because it's not based on God's word, it doesn't lead you to God. That's the danger. And so you're no longer thirsty for God because you've already had your thirst quenched by something that isn't water. When I was a teenager, I loved to play pickup basketball. And after a pickup basketball game, we would all go to 7-Eleven. And you know why we went to 7-Eleven? Because they'd sell you the big gulps. I don't remember. Was it 32 ounces, 64 ounces? It's a ridiculous amount of soda pop for 99 cents. Now you tell me, just after you've played a basketball game, is that the time to be filling your body with sugar and caffeine? No. Why did we do it? because it tasted good. And we weren't thirsty after drinking 32 ounces of soda pop. In fact, usually we were sick to our stomachs. We did it because it tasted good. Beware a type of of religiosity, a type of religion that appeals to you because we know the heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately wicked. Who can know it? Compare what you hear to what the scripture says, to what the Bible says. Even when I'm speaking, look, your Bibles and see what I'm talking about. We were just talking with someone again, Oregon, in this last trip. She was uh, telling us how she's been looking for a church there. And she mentioned, I found a church I like because they use the Bible. 
And I started laughing because we've had this discussion here several times recently. How many folks have come to me and said, hey, I'm looking for a good church. I am finding some churches don't even open a Bible during the whole worship time. And you think, well, what are they doing then? Well, I can't say for sure, but if you're not using their Bible, it's likely they're just telling you what comes out of men's heads. And I, I know some really smart people. They can talk a whole lot better than I talk, but I don't need men's wisdoms, men's wisdom, because my ways, man's ways are not God's ways. Man's thoughts are not God's thoughts. But fast food Christianity is, is more interested with taste than with substance. Notice that because they're more interested with taste than with substance, they lack joy and they lack peace. Look at verse 12 with me. For ye shall go out with joy. This is Isaiah 55, 12. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. When you have a relationship with God that is daily, that's real, that's you. I'm not talking about being part of this church necessarily. I'm not talking about being a good person. I'm not talking about checking all the boxes. I'm talking about a relationship with God that causes you to go to his word and read it for profit. That causes you to spend time with him in prayer so that he speaks to you and you speak to him. When you have a relationship with God that is daily and that's vital like that, you have joy and you have peace, regardless of your circumstances. Anybody can be at peace and anybody can have joy when everything is going well. When your job is great and family life is good and nobody's sick and everybody in the family is healthy. But what happens when you lose your job? Can you still have joy and peace? The answer is yes. Even if you've got a job you don't like and your boss is rude and he's, he's harsh and he doesn't, he's not understanding you can have joy and peace if you're walking with the Lord. If your family life is, is, is difficult and people are sick and there's even chronic illness, you can still have joy and peace. You can lose a loved one. And boy, our hearts ache when a loved one dies. And there's a hole there. And I, I'm not minimizing grief, but you can still have joy and peace. But these people had quenched their thirst at other wells. They had eaten other bread and they were no longer hungry. And God says to them, if you're thirsty, come to me. You don't have to have money. You don't have to spend, but rather than come to God and get what he offered for free, verse two says that they spent their money for things that were not bread and they labored for things that did not make them happy. Now, when God says, come to me, and you'll see throughout this uh, chapter as we read it, he, he goes back and forth between metaphor and analogy where he gives a word picture and statements of truth. So notice verse three with me, Isaiah 55, three, incline your ear and come to me here and your soul shall live. So when God talks about coming and getting water, when he talks about coming and getting bread that will satisfy, he's talking about hearing God's words. Where do we find God's words? Right here. You can read them for yourself. Now, I hope that you'll come Sunday morning. We have a Sunday school hour, 945. You'll hear the word of God there. You'll hear the word of God during worship time. Tonight, we're going to meet again at five o'clock. We're going to do some more worship and song and then look at God's word again and you can hear God's word. But Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, 
you have God's word available to you. How much time are you spending in God's word? Now you may, if you've been here any length of time, you think, you know, preacher, you sound like a broken record. Keep talking about this. Because the truth is, sometimes we have all the water we need, all the bread that can satisfy us, and we don't come to it. We're not reading it for profit. I mean, I can, I can read my Bible and be thinking about something else entirely and not get any profit, not get any benefit from it. I can check the box and say, I read five chapters today. And it's meaningless because I wasn't focused on God's word. He says, incline your ear unto me. Pay attention. Maybe you've had a child and the child wants to get your attention. I'm talking about two, three, four-year-old child. You know what that infant will do, that toddler will do? He'll grab your face and turn it to wherever he is. He's saying, pay attention to me. That's what God's saying to us. Pay attention to me. Incline your ear unto me. Hear and your soul shall live. But these people are more satisfied with taste than with sense. And because of that, they, are, they lack what satisfies. They lack joy and peace. They don't have the water of life that they could have freely. Let's pick it up in verse 6, Isaiah 55, 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return unto the Lord. And he, that is the Lord, will have mercy upon him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. Second, fast food Christianity wants it our way. Do you see that here? He says, if you're going to return to me, you have to leave your way. You have to leave your thoughts. These people, and even Christians today, we have our own thoughts, but they're not God's thoughts. We have our own way, but they're not God's way. And God says, no, no, you, you can't have it your way. You've got to leave your thoughts and you've got to leave your way and you have to come to me. Now, let me give you an illustration uh, or an example of this that I hope will help you understand. Please don't mis misunderstand what I'm about to say here. But so often our prayers are about what we want. We're telling God what our plans are, what our desires are, what he's going to do for us. And then when God doesn't come through, we say, God, you failed me. God didn't fail. You have your thoughts. You have your ways. God has higher thoughts. God has higher ways. You, I don't tell God what to do. God tells me what to do. Now, I know in our human thinking, we wish we could tell God what to do. Frankly, you and I both know that wouldn't work. But so often our prayers are centered about what we want. We have our own way. We have our own thoughts. So if we are going to change our ways, if we're going to change our thoughts, where does it start? Where does it start? If, if I want to forsake my way and find God's way, I'm going to tell you where it's going to start. I'm not saying it ends here, but I'm going to tell you where it's going to start. It's going to start when you meditate on scripture. Do you know what scriptural meditation is? It's when you take a verse or a phrase or a passage of scripture, and you just think about it over and over and over and over and you mine that bit of scripture for every application, every bit of meaning that you can get. 
out in the eastern side of Nevada, out past Winnemucca, I understand. I'd like to see this in action someday, but what they do is they have these giant earth-moving machines that gather up literally tons of ore, tons of dirt and gravel and whatever else is out there in eastern Nevada. How many of you have driven through eastern Nevada? Okay, gather up tons of this stuff and they dump it into leech ponds and they run cyanide through it. Do you know why they run cyanide through it? The cyanide sticks to the gold. And at the bottom of that leech pond, you'll have this gold and, uh, I said cyanide, I believe it's arsenic. You'll have this gold and arsenic mixture at the bottom. Then they can chemically separate the arsenic from the gold and they can have just the gold. Now, I understand that for every ton of ore that those earth-moving machines put into those leach fields, they get just two or three ounces of gold. 2,000 pounds of rock and gravel to get just a few ounces of gold. Do we treat God's word like that? There are riches here. They just lie on the surface. They're like gold nuggets waiting to be picked up. But we miss it because we insist on having it our way. And frankly, it's not always easy to do it God's way. Because the natural man doesn't think the way God thinks. And that's why meditation over time, as I spend time meditating on God's thoughts and thinking God's thoughts after, it begins to change the way that I think. When a problem comes up, I don't approach it with, what do I think? I approach it with, what does God's word say? You will find good counsel when you find someone who can take you to scripture and say, let's look at what God says about this problem. but we want a Christianity that is our way, that fits our plans. And God says to us in verse eight here, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Fast food Christianity wants a life wants a religion that works our way. And God says, no, no, no. It's not your way. It's my way. But third, fast food Christianity lacks the patience and, it, and, and resists putting out the effort required to get satisfying food. Think about this scenario with me. You've been at work all day. Maybe you've worked extra long that day. Maybe it's been a 10-hour day or an 11-hour day. And you go home. And you walk into your kitchen and you open the cupboards and there's food in the cupboards and you open the refrigerator and there are ingredients in the refrigerator, but there's no prepared food anywhere in the kitchen. So you know what you do? You pick up your smartphone and you order and they bring the food right to your house. Do you do that because that food is more satisfying? Excuse me. Do you do that because that food is more nutritious than the food you can make for yourself? You do because it's easier. Now, I'm not, please don't go home and feel like I'm beating people up for ordering food online. You order food online, have fun. But that's not the way our Christianity works. It takes effort and it takes patience to see God's will accomplished in our lives and in the lives of the people around us. And a lot of times we just don't take the time. Now you say, I don't see effort or patience in here. Well, let me show it to you. 
Look with me at verse 10. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth. Sorry, men. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Notice the analogy he gives there. The analogy is rain. Now, some of you are familiar with the intricate and, and, and complicated system of reservoirs and lakes and canals that we have here in California that make it possible for us to raise valuable crops in what is really a semi-desert. Here in Solano County, for example, we'll get rain some years. We'll get rain December, January, February, sometimes a little bit in March or April. The rest of the year, it's absolutely dry. And yet they're planting almonds right next door. And almonds take gallons and gallons of water for every tree. Where are they getting all that water from? Well, here in Solano County, they get it from Lake Berryessa. How many of you have been up to Lake Berryessa? Okay, you, you probably didn't know that. That whole lake's purpose, it's actually a reservoir. That whole lake's purpose is simply to irrigate crops. Now, the water that falls in 2022, that falls in this year, on the mountains about, around Lake Berryessa, does it necessarily show up on these fields the next day? Or even the next month? It could be, I, I don't know, I've never studied the hydrology of it, but it could be, it takes a year or more before that water shows up on our fields. And then when the water shows up on these almond trees, are there going to be blossoms and blooms that same day? No, it could be months before the trees blossom. But as soon as they blossom, you can eat the blossoms, right? No, you can't do that either. You still got to wait. And you got to wait for the fruit. In this case, almonds. And then do you just pick almonds off the tree and pop them in your mouth like you do apples? Not unless you want broken teeth. Almonds have a hull. They have a shell around them and they dry them out and then they split them out of the shell. There's a lot of work that goes into getting one almond. And now I love almonds. I enjoy eating them. I enjoy eating them in things. I enjoy baking with them. But there's a lot of time and patience from the time the water falls as rain to the time that I have an almond in my hand. And that's what God's saying here. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth. Doesn't water the earth immediately always. Snow, especially think of the snow that falls in the Sierras. It might fall in November. And it sits there all winter as snow, doesn't it? Finally, March, April, some of the higher elevations, even May, that snow melts. And when it melts, it immediately shows up on the fields as irrigation, doesn't it? No, it probably, in the Sierras, it probably ends up percolating through the soil. Maybe for months, maybe for years before it shows up in some little stream or, or the beginnings of a river. And it runs down those slopes and those rivers and in those streams until we capture it behind a dam. And it sits there in the reservoir until somebody takes it out through the canal. It could be years before that snow waters anything in the Central Valley. It takes patience and it takes effort if we're going to get satisfying food. And when it comes to the Christian life, there is no shortcut to spirituality. There's no shortcut to discipleship. 
I wish that Christian discipleship was a lot like the vaccinations that we give. And I could pull it up in a syringe and jam it into your arm and all right, you're spiritual, go forth and do right. It doesn't work that way. I wish we could meet once a week. Boy, you'd be ready. You could just face the rest of the week without any more assistance. But frankly, I need God's help every single day, not just Sundays. And that's going to continue for my whole life. Am I ever going to reach a point? Am I ever going to reach a point where I can say, you know, I don't need to spend much more time in prayer or in my Bible because I have everything I need for the rest of my life. If you're smart, you know, I have a very short life ahead of me. If that's the truth. I need God every day. I need to work at it. I need to put the effort in every single day and I should not expect results tomorrow. Or even the next week, it could be years before I see the results of the investments in eternity. But notice what God says, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I send it. Not necessarily immediately. Not necessarily today or tomorrow. Sometimes I'm talking with someone and I'm giving them scripture and I'm trying to counsel them to follow God's way. And, and they do that. And they say, you, you know, pastor, you're right. I see what the scripture says. I, I've got to do it God's way. Okay, I'm going to do it God's way. And then a week later, they came back and they say, just, it's just not working. You may not see results in a week. If you've got a problem that's taken you 15 years to mess up, why do we expect God to fix it in 15 days? I'm not saying God can't do miracles. God can do miraculous things. I've seen people, you've probably known people too, they've smoked for decades. Then God gets a hold of their heart and they say, boy, I just, I can't keep putting this toxins in my body. I'm going to give up smoking today. And it happens. Praise the Lord for that. But if you've been trying to quit smoking for years and it's just not working, please keep trying. Don't give up because it didn't happen immediately like it happened for someone else. I've seen it. You've got a husband and a wife. Boy, they fight like cats and dogs. Man, they're just going at it. They just, they can't even seem to be in the same room without yelling and screaming at each other. And sometimes I've seen God just take that and turn it around. And within a few weeks, they can be calm and peaceful. And other times I've seen it takes years. But God can be trusted. His word won't return. If we will put in the time and, and be patient for the satisfying food, we can trust his word. But the problem is we're Americans and we want fast food Christianity. And if it doesn't work in a month, we're ready to try the next thing. God, I'll give you 30 days. And if you can't solve my problem in 30 days, I'm going to quit praying. Some of you have been praying for a particular uh, a piece of God's will. You've been praying for decades. Please keep praying if it's God's will. George Mueller was known as a, as a famous prayer warrior. He's a fellow who started orphanages, plural, orphanages in, in, in England in the 1800s. And he never asked anyone for money. He didn't. He trusted that God would provide, of course, through people, but he didn't say, hey, this is how much money I need for this orphanage. He just pray. And you've heard the stories about how the milkman breaks down on the beginning of his route and he's got all this perishable milk. So he comes up to the door of the orphanage and says, Hey, can you use this milk? And yes, they can use that milk. But they say that George Mueller prayed for two particular, the salvation, George Mueller prayed for the salvation of two particular men 
until the day he died without ever seeing them saved. And both of those men were saved after his death. See, that's perseverance in prayer. That's waiting on the Lord. That's not giving up just because I don't get my prayer answered today or next week or next month. It's discerning what God's ways are, what God's plans are, what God's thoughts are, and then praying according to his will until he either takes me home to glory as he did with George Mueller or until we see our prayers answered. Fast food Christianity. Fast food Christianity lacks the patience and lacks the effort for this type of persevering prayer. Now, I want to bring one more application out of this passage. And that is in verse 1, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. And then in verse uh, eight, uh, verse 10 again, talks about rain and snow, which is a form of water. And let me remind us that in the Bible, so often, water is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 7 tells us, Jesus said that out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And that those rivers of living water were the spirit. And so often what we need as Christians is to be yielded to the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. That's the water that we desperately need. That's the water we must be thirsty for. That's the rain that's going to come down out of heaven. The snow from heaven that's going to have an impact in our lives. We cannot live the Christian life by ourselves. It's not more of my effort. It's not more of your effort. It's not trying harder without the Holy Spirit. It takes the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life. It takes God's grace to live the Christian life. Let me show that to you. One verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10 in the new Testament. Of course, Jesus is the central figure. In fact, Jesus literally is the central figure throughout your whole Bible. But there are some other men in the new Testament that really stick out. One is Peter and the other is Paul. This one is Paul who writes in first Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was bestowed upon, and his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Often we think of Paul, this great apostle, doing amazing things, and he goes to a town and he preaches for a few weeks, and people are saved and they're baptized, and he forms a little church there, and he goes on to the next town, and he does this from town to town, village to village. And then a couple years later, he comes back around and there's still Christians there and he gives them some more uh, uh, spiritual nourishment and some more preaching. And it grows a little bit bigger. And, and pretty soon we're told the whole provinces, the whole province of Asia was evangelized through this method. And how did Paul do that? By the grace of God. Because God was working through him. Now, there was effort on his part. Don't miss that. He said that. I labored more abundantly than they all, but it was the grace of God. And I need the grace of God every day. And you need the grace of God every day. If you're going to live the Christian life, we have a tendency to, to, to fall to one of two extremes when it comes to, to the Christian life. And, and one extreme is we say, we just, I just can't do it. I, boy, I just can't live the way God wants me to live. So obviously I must be misunderstanding this in some way. 
you know what? I'm just going to do the best I can. I'm just going to sort of muddle through. And we recognize, we recognize that our lives don't quite match up with scripture, but we just can't do it. The Bible says, lie not one to another. But, you know, we just, sometimes you just can't tell the truth, right? So we, we make up little white lies and, and we tell people things that aren't quite true. And we just say, I just got to muddle through. We know that God wants us to reach out and to minister to others. But boy, our lives are so busy. We just, we can't find time. So we just sort of muddle through. That's one extreme. The other extreme, and this is also just as wrong, we make ourselves a checklist. We're organized. We say, okay, God, every day I'm going to do this for you. Yep, I did that. And every day I'm going to do this for you. Yep, I did that. But you know what I found? People who make checklists, they only make up checklists that they can keep. They only make up checklists that they can keep. If you are going to live the Christian life the way God intended, you're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to need the grace of God because there are going to be things that aren't on your checklist. God wants you to do. And you're going to need that living water. You're going to need that rain from heaven. You're going to need that snow from heaven because you're not going to be able to accomplish it by yourself. Fast food Christianity, though, lacks the patience. It's too busy. It, It doesn't have time to wait. It's got to get through. It's got to have results now. So, Let me challenge you from this passage, verse six, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Don't be a fast food Christian. Don't think that there's some drive through Christianity where you show up, get your spiritual nourishment, and then you just go on with life. Seek the Lord, seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And secondly, as part of seeking the Lord, we've got to put a, Put aside our pride. We've got to put aside our plan. We've got to put aside our priorities so that we can adopt God's plan and God's priorities. We have to recognize my thoughts are not God's thoughts. My plans are not God's plans. His plans, his thoughts, his ways are higher than mine. We've got to set aside my pride, my plans and my priorities and say, God, what do you want me to do? Most days as I pray, there are two things that I pray for. I pray for focus, to know what God wants me to do that day, what he wants me to say. And I pray for faith to obey. When God says, hey, I want you to do this. Okay, Father, I'm going to need help with this. Faith to obey. Don't be a fast food Christian. Don't be going through the drive-up window when what it takes is patience and commitment and time seeking the Lord meditating on his words so that we adopt his thoughts. We begin to think in terms of his way and not our own thoughts and not our own ways. Father, thank you for this morning. And again, I, I'm, I'm grateful for the folks that are here. So many that are ill and unable to be with us today. And, and yet you have met with us. You are faithful. You never leave us. You never forsake us. Now, Father, give us, each one of us, give to me, Give to each one of my listeners this morning a desire to seek you. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Put in our hearts and in our heads your ways and your thoughts. Help us to set aside our own pride and our own plans and our own priorities. 
so that we can adopt your ways and your thoughts. We can be Christians who are deeply rooted next to that stream of living water whose trees that yield our fruit in our season and whose leaves do not wither. And we prosper, not because we're good people. We prosper because you are a great God who blesses your people. Father, teach us the patience that's required to wait for that rain from heaven, that snow from heaven to percolate through the ground, to be collected, to be spread on the irrigated fields, to see that fruit, fruit that remains. Give us patience. Teach us to keep working and keep working and keep waiting and keep praying and persevering in prayer. We ask these things because we want to see you exalted and glorified in our community. We're not satisfied with the way we are, with the way our families are, with the way our church is, with the way our nation is. And we want you to intervene. We want you to work. Teach us what persevering prayer is. We ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.